Hi, this is Bob Wells here, and welcome to Undercurrent Stories. This is the show where we hear about people's interests and uncover some fascinating stories at the same time. I hope you enjoy today's show. Hello and welcome to Undercurrent Stories. In today's show, I'm pleased to be joined by John McLaughlin. In his recently published book, How to Deal with Damn Near Anything, The Paratrooper's Guide to Life, John deals with the hidden side of the military and what it can teach anyone. As a former US Army paratrooper, John has served across the US, Europe, and both Iraq and Afghanistan. After beginning his career in intelligence, he attended law school at the University of Virginia and became a JAG officer in the DC National Guard, where he was mobilized recently after the insurrection attempt on January the 6th, 2021. His writing background includes work as a journalist, columnist, speechwriter, and editor, along with teaching as an adjunct professor at universities in Virginia and Maryland. Hello and welcome to the show, John. Hello. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the invitation. It's great. Looking forward to this conversation. Um, thank you for coming on the show. It's great to have you on. Whereabouts are you based? I'm actually in Washington, D.C. now and enjoy living here. For, obviously, being in the military, I lived in a lot of out-of-the-way places and had a good time, but I'm glad to be living in a bigger city now. Sure. Sure. Great. Anyway, before we talk about the book, John, please, can you tell us a bit about yourself, your life's journey, and how you decided and became to you know actually join the military? Certainly. So prior to the military, I actually grew up with my grandma, which was, on the one hand, it's just a little fun fact, but it definitely ended up shaping some of the decisions that came later that led to some of the events in the book that we'll be discussing. And it was funny because as a, as a small child, I would make jokes about old detective TV shows that would confuse my elementary school teachers. They're like, why are you watching all of these old television shows and not cartoons? And after, after that, uh, when I finished high school and then university, I was going to become a journalist, but that was right when 9-11 happened here in the US. And I thought, you know, maybe, I, maybe instead of writing about what's going on, I wanna be involved a bit more directly. Looked into joining the military, and I found that honestly, it filled a gap for me that I hadn't gotten growing up with my grandma. It was a chance to get out there and be a little more fleshed out than just simply being the math kid. And decided to become an Arabic linguist. So I learned Arabic through the military's language training school out in California. And then did nine years full time in the military before I thought, okay, I've, I've done much of what I came to do. What, what comes next? And for me, that meant law school on a what a program called the GI Bill, which was passed here to help soldiers get education who may have had their, their career, not I would say disrupted, but who hadn't been able to follow a traditional career path because of their time in the military. So went to law school on that and then have been alternating part-time, full-time in the military since, but also have been grappling with the transition away from being full-time military and what that meant in terms of the lessons I learned, which ones did or did not apply, and how the military fits into the wider world. So what, what made you decide to write the book? Obviously, you, you had a lot of experience. I've been reading, you know, doing my research, and obviously been reading a bit about yourself and um, what, you, what you were doing in the Army. But, but what actually made you decide to write the book? So as, as you mentioned in the intro, I had been to both Iraq and Afghanistan. And understandably, depictions of those places in combat from any era dominate the conversation about the military. But yeah. What I discovered was that in terms of what was most useful to me in day-to-day life were other lessons I've learned from the military, lessons that weren't really taught elsewhere, very rarely, and lessons that weren't really discussed because they weren't about combat. And honestly, they don't make good stories, good novels, good action-packed movies, but they were the types of things that have been useful to me. 
And I was meeting enough people who had the talent and the work ethic and the good nature to be uh, successful and happy, but were struggling more than they should have because they hadn't had a chance to learn these lessons and to develop in the ways that the military develops people. And I hope to play some small role in filling that gap and telling that story. Okay, so so um, just talking about your experiences in, in the military, are you saying that there was was a lot of this self learn, or was it actually some, what it, was it actually taught? A mix. Most of it was when it was taught. It was unofficially taught. So when yeah. I talk about development, and I tried to distill the lessons I learned into five specific traits, I did not go to the school for advanced development and spend six weeks there taking development classes and a big development test at the end. So it was sometimes discussed openly. And sometimes it was implicit. It was more about the ecosystem, the environment that the military has developed that nurtures these sorts of traits over time. So it was a bit of a mix. Yeah. I know there's five traits that you've identified in the book. Could you just, you know, for listeners, just tell listeners what those five traits are and just sort of describe how they work, please? Certainly. So the first is self-awareness, the idea that if you're not getting an accurate picture of yourself and honestly grappling with that, it's going to be hard to proceed in the right direction. The next is initiative, the idea that taking action is paramount. And while that may be self-evident as a broad description, what are some specific ways you can encourage yourself to take action when you otherwise might not? Then there's efficiency, which is the idea that it's not about maximum effort all the time. It's about targeted, effective effort at the right times. And while I respect everybody who served and a lot of the people I served with, a lot of the things you see military people write are very, very intense. And the idea is not that all problems are solved by intensity and maximum effort, but they're solved with an efficient approach to these things. And then the last two are adaptability, the ability to acknowledge that no matter how good your plan is, it's not perfect and things change and you have to change too. And then the last and probably the most unfamiliar name out of all of these is insistence. And that last one is about setting standards and enforcing boundaries and being able to stay on track and avoid being pushed off course by drama or other distractions. So those are the five. Very interesting. Could you just give us an example of on, on that insistence one, which I, I find quite interesting. Can you just give us some examples of, of how a typical soldier would be encouraged to use insistence? Please? Certainly. So the first time I was exposed to this was at the end of basic training when my drill sergeant, my instructor, had put me up, nominated me for the honor graduate award. And there's four people that were up for it. And, one, and so he would ask me little questions from our little soldier guy that were about, you know, the effective range of this rifle or questions like that. And one day he asked me a question, who are you competing against? I won't try and do his voice, but imagine a, a, a straight out of a movie type of authority yeah. figure. Yeah. And so he said, who are you competing against? So I'm like, drill sergeant, I'm competing against these three other soldiers, you know, name, name, name. And he looks at me and just goes, wrong. It just doesn't say anything. <laughs> I'm like, uh, what's the, I don't know what to do. And then he says, you are competing against the standard. And then just walks away like this metaphysical figure, right? He yes. just like floats into the ether afterwards, disappears into smoke. And at the time, you know, it was basic training. It was a stressful, busy environment. I, it didn't really strike me until I thought about it. But what he meant was the other three people who were competing for this, it was sheer chance they could have been the three greatest soldiers to ever live and i would have gotten my butt kicked or there could have been three people who weren't that great and it was an easy win for me actually winning the award was irrelevant however nice it may be to win it however sad it may be to lose it 
What mattered was performing up to the standard that had been set for a soldier in that circumstance. And I've tried to carry that forward and understand that you set a kind of North Star for any given task. And it yeah. can be something as as personal as how friends should treat you or how you should treat friends or something in your professional life about where you want to go and how you want to perform there. But it is not necessarily about the people who are coincidentally around you at any given time. It's about something more objective and lasting than that. So that's when that, that's when insistence was first sort of introduced into my universe was my drill sergeant telling me I wasn't competing against these other guys. It was no. something else. So as long as you go to your standard or your North Star and, and you meet that, that's okay. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. exactly. However, uh, my, I suppose my challenge on that would be, well, what about the other guy who you're looking over the shoulder at who exceeds that standard? How, what, what happens then? Well, you may need to adjust your standard. It depends. The, oh. Part of this is an evolving I – w- I had been in the military eight-ish weeks when yeah. I had that conversation. I had yeah. no idea what I was talking about. No. So I did the best I could with my standard at the time. And certainly I've been in units full of soldiers that made me realize I needed to step my game up. And I've been in units with soldiers who did. And my standards had to adjust over time. Sometimes I've had to adjust it downwards, not because I believed in less, but because I had to understand that it was efficient for me to accept that, hey, I've got three weeks with these guys. Here's what I can get to them. Here's where I can get them in three weeks. Versus if I've got three months with somebody. So the standard does have to be adjusted sometimes, but you don't want to do so without doing so thoughtfully and for a specific reason. Yeah, that's very interesting. And and I guess this can sort of be taken into corporate life as well. I think so. And one of the things that was shocking to me, my first first environment I was in after the military was law school, right? A unique sort of environment. And I thought maybe the gaps I was identifying were particular to law school. But, you know, is that really enough to write a book about? And it, I didn't even think about it at the time. I was busy doing the adjustment myself. The idea for the book didn't emerge in my brain until years later. But I, it, maybe not completed, but more fully gone through the adjustment myself. But then I went to different workplaces and I realized the gaps that I had identified were not just about any one particular place. You know, college, the book discusses how colleges and workplaces have specific other purposes. It's not that they don't care about the people who are there. It's that they have other priorities. And yeah. this type of development only can happen if people initiate it themselves. And hopefully this book can be a guide on how to do so. Because schools are busy trying to get you degrees and businesses are busy trying to serve their clients and customers. They may not be able to spare you that development energy. So the five traits, are, are they five traits that you personally distilled or, or do the military actually sort of use the terminology and language of, of these five traits? They are mostly what I distilled. You'll find adaptability in yeah. military language uh, yeah. in terms of you know, various different places talking about. And one of the more famous military slogans is no plan encounter or no plan survives first contact with the enemy. So the adaptability is baked into the cake pretty significantly. The other ones, it varies, but definitely less so than the adaptability. Initiative is probably the other one that you'll see as an overt emphasis in the military. Yeah. And the self-awareness one's an interesting one um, because I, I guess there's different ways of looking at self-awareness because I guess if you're in a team, if you're in a, you know, if you're in command of a troop, um, you're actually going to have to be very aware of everybody else with you, aren't you? Um, where, do, where does, how does the self-awareness work in that? So self-awareness was something I had never thought about when I decided why to join the military. I thought, I never thought, oh, I need to be more self-aware. Here we go. Yeah. 
But what I realized is some of the things that serve as obstacles in normal day-to-day life, by normal, I mean civilian day-to-day life, to self-awareness, the military pushes back against. For example, we spend so much time around each other in the military. In most of the times, my civilian jobs, or as a student, you see people a certain fraction of the day, or a certain fraction of the week or month even, depending on how the schedule is. And if you want to show one side to that person, which is understandable, everybody wants to look their best in front of people whose opinion of them they care about, then you can do that. But we're around each other so much in the military that it forces you to have conversations with others or about yourself that you just don't have normally. If somebody has some sort of obstacle to being a good friend, a teammate, part of a social circle, you usually ignore that in civilian life unless it reaches an extremely serious level. But in the military, if I'm spending... 12 out the next 12 hours with you in a hut in a truck in a tent then you know what if you're doing a certain thing or if we're working together for the next month or three months even in a training environment you're going to have those conversations with people and things that get understandably swept under the rug in civilian life are going to get talked about it doesn't mean everybody magically becomes self-aware no. but it, it pushes people out of the comfort zone that they would normally be in usually to good effect and always to um to honest effect. What are the top traits that make a, make a successful soldier, John? If I had to rank them, I would probably say self-awareness is first. Yeah. Because it's one thing to be a junior soldier and to be able to get by on tactical, technical ability, physical strength. Maybe you're good with the piece of equipment you work with or the particular skill you're supposed to have. But the military encourages people to move up fairly quickly. And even as a 19-year-old can have two or three or four people in charge of them and onwards from there. And as soon as you're in charge of people, you need people skills. Yeah. And it is not just enough to be the best at the task out of your group. You have to be able to make others good at the task also. So I'd say self-awareness is the most important because if you don't understand the effect you have on others and why you have that effect and you're not able to change that effect when needed, then you're probably going to have a pretty low ceiling. And if you don't, it's going to be coincidence. And as soon as you're put in a different circumstance, you're probably not going to be able to replicate whatever success you had. So I'd say self-awareness and adaptability would be the two that I highlight, slightly more than others. Yeah. And and did you have experience of, shall we say, rookie soldiers coming in, possibly without any or very few of those traits and and seeing them develop as, as they continued their career in the military? Absolutely. Um, we, have a, we have a concept called battle buddy in basic training. The idea is you don't want people going anywhere by themselves because they'll get lost or they'll get in trouble or it'll otherwise cause drama. So you're assigned. Usually it's the bunk mate, the person sleeping above or below you. So mine was the only 17 year old we had in basic training. And that's the age at which your parents need to sign a permission slip for you to even join the military to begin with. Wow. And he was incredibly quiet. Even by, and I'm not as an extrovert. I'm not saying in contrast to me. I'm saying contrast to anybody. Yeah. And over the course of basic training, you know, he didn't turn into a you know stand-up comedian or something, but he began to understand that he needed to speak up in at least in specific important moments in order to avoid certain problems and to get where he wanted to be. So I watched him every day. Again, the, the quantity of time we spend around each other. I saw this man eight to 16 hours a day, every single day for nine weeks. And that meant I had some of these conversations with him. He was, he had a low point in basic training and I had to have a talk with him that he initiated, right? I wasn't trying to point myself anybody's life coach, 
but it was a chance for me to talk to him about some of these things and help nudge him along that development path. Hi, it's Bob here. Just a quick interlude. Hope you're enjoying this episode. And if you would like to hear more interesting interviews, we have over 80 episodes to date with many fascinating guests talking about a wide variety of topics, which include music, history, philosophy, fitness, food and drink, adventure, contemporary culture, and many, many more. I'm sure there's something that you'd really enjoy. So all you need to do is just visit undercurrentstories.com or search Undercurrent Stories in any of the podcast platforms. And now back to the show. The book's received some great reviews, I noticed. And, and um, there's a lot of, lot of stuff that people can, can learn from them, and not just in the military and not just in corporate life. What, what about people who, shall we say, are students or even retired people? Is, is there something in there for them? I think that's where insistence would be the most useful for folks that are either uh, moving towards their professional life or have it a little bit in the rearview mirror. Because a lot of what I see that that drains people's time and energy are the relationships they get into. And by relationships, I don't mean capital R, a spouse, a boyfriend, a girlfriend. I mean every type of relationship. Yeah, It could be your, your favorite bartender, the way you treat a cousin, uh, all of these different people that we interact with. And I've seen a lot of people who are not comfortable setting standards and enforcing boundaries. And I don't mean that those things have to be done aggressively. Little nudges, little line drawings can have a big effect. And one of the priorities for me with the book, I dove deeply into the research behind these traits because as, as useful as one guy's opinion is, it's not as useful if it's not backed up by the people who actually studied it rigorously. No, no. So, so I went in and I looked at and The last thing I did was, was to write a book that was wrong. You know, it's worse than not writing one at all. And I was surprised at the research that showed that if accountability was known to exist – in a, in a social circle, in a professional circle, or just a social circle, people would change their behavior even if that accountability system wasn't being used. Just the specter of it, the possibility of it. And so the idea is to encourage people to take small steps at certain moments to let others know that, hey, there is a line here, there is a way that, that things should be done, and that those small actions can have surprisingly meaningful results. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's many self-help books, aren't there? And, and um, I, I haven't actually seen a self-help book that's similar to this, certainly from, from you know, stuff that's been learned to the military. What, what, what else makes your book different to others? I think the most important thing I have to offer is what I call, and what you mentioned in the opening, the hidden side of the military. That every, at least in America, I think in, in the UK as well, there's a widespread respect for the military, but that doesn't mean there's an understanding of the military. And behind the stories and the experiences that make the military a respected institution are long-term development strategies that get us there. And what I think, at least what I've tried to offer, is a look behind the curtain at how a group of people who are, by some measures, fairly normal people are able to – and young people as well – not people with necessarily a a great deal of experience, are able to come together and to achieve remarkable things. And the idea is that you don't have to – I I love my fellow veterans of Britain both, but you don't have to set out to conquer the world in order to meaningfully improve. In fact, one of the – you might find – turn around and find you've gone a lot further than you even planned on if you get on the right path. So hopefully what this offers is a look behind the curtain at the the 
the strategies, both implied and overt, that the military uses to take whoever we get and make them a better version of themselves, not to push everyone towards one particular outcome, but to develop each person along the path that they want to go on. Yeah, it, it, it sounds great stuff. And, and it's, it's made me sort of um, consider the opportunities that perhaps might exist for education, certainly, you know, teens, children in schools, some of the lessons, because obviously when, when kids go to school, they learn the three R's and, and all that sort of thing. But there's some, some fantastic life lessons here. Um, and I think particularly with the future that we've got with AI and all that sort of stuff and social media and the pressures of social media, I would have thought that initiative self-awareness, adaptability and efficiency are pretty, um, pretty important on the scale. So I just wondered... Have you had any conversations with any of the education authorities to sort of bring this type of training on? I have initial ones. There's there's one, I'll put it this way. The one thing about even as polite criticism of colleges for not filling a certain gap, not all colleges are necessarily embracing the idea that they're, uh, that they're lacking. So that's been a bit of a challenge. Yeah. But as you said, looking at other phases of education, whether that's later in the workplace or previous in other schools, I'm working on a three-hour version of the book as a training course to be offered through an HR consultancy. Wow. And that's in the works currently. So hopefully I'll have an update for you on that at some point. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that, that sounds really good, actually. I think that would be brilliant. Um, that's, that's the goal. Yeah. No, that's, that's great. You, you've certainly got a mission here. Um, one other thing I wanted to ask you, for any listeners that are interested who haven't read your book but are interested in your book, um, sneak preview time are there any lessons from the book that you could sort of give listeners as a taster that they can put into practice immediately into their everyday lives right now okay here's the sampler you need to set up what's the right way to say this you want to show that you are open to feedback that doesn't mean you're going to do what everybody tells you to do doesn't mean you're going to do what anybody tells you to do depending on who's doing the telling but Even if someone is wrong, objectively, completely, provably wrong about a piece of feedback they give you, they still thought that was true. And there's still value in trying to figure out how they got there if the place they are is wildly inaccurate. So I would encourage people to find a moment to signal openness to feedback and to ensure that the door is open for people because that feedback is the raw material that gives you self-awareness. So the next time somebody says something to you that is just laughable or maybe even more serious than that, like very regrettable, don't take the approach of being defensive, even if you have a legitimate reason to be so. Take the take a step back mentally, be a little more analytical and try to think, okay, how can I use this to improve and how can I prevent others from wandering down the wrong path that this person apparently did? Yes. It's, it's that perception as reality thing, isn't it? So uh, you it really said is. earlier on, you know, if, if, if they thought that something made them trigger that it could be your body language, it could be the way you've said something, your tone, I guess. And, and why have they said that? So I guess that means that you have to be quite brave and, and probe them. And for a brief example, I'm an extrovert and I would give people the impression I was not as interested in their perspective as I actually was because I wouldn't take the step of asking them because as somebody who would volunteer an answer to a question, I expected other people to volunteer their answers too. And I wasn't self-aware enough to understand that that's an extrovert's approach and that's not something that everyone else shares. So when somebody would say like, well, I don't think you cared about my opinion, I would 
I thought, I do, I really respect your opinion. How did I give you that impression? It was because I hadn't made space for them to contribute. So I tried to get better at doing so. Yeah, very, very interesting. So what's next, John? What's next is I have a year left in my current military job where I'm actually a JAG lawyer, as we call them in the US, a military lawyer. And then depending on the development of this course and book-related efforts, I will strike off on this path and see how far this can go. Otherwise, I'll continue to to do as much of this as circumstances allow, and I'll end up doing a mix of part-time military, part-time developmental trainer, or whatever the right phrase ends up being for spreading the lessons that are encapsulated in the book. Yeah, and you're you're doing speeches and talks as well, are you? I am. Where can people find out more about your work? The best place to reach me is probably LinkedIn, where if you just punch in my name and paratrooper, unless somebody's really stolen my gimmick, I should be the thing that pops up. But (laughs) if that's not the case, then you can find the book on Amazon or if, you know, I should, since I'm giving advice to overseas readers, let's just stick with Amazon for now. You should be able to request it at your local bookstore, even outside the U.S. But if that doesn't work, then Amazon will. But to reach me, reach me personally, LinkedIn is the best way. Oh, well, that's great. Um, John, I think this has been a really interesting conversation. It's been particularly interesting to learn more about those five traits. Um, and I appreciate you sharing what you've learned from your experiences in the military for the benefit of myself and our listeners. And there's definitely some immediate takeaways here. My guest today has been John McLaughlin. John is a former US paratrooper and his book, How to Deal with Damn Near Anything, is available now, a link of which can be found in the show notes. Thank you for coming on the show, John. Thank you again for having me. You have been listening to Undercurrent Stories. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please feel free to share the show link to your friends and family. And if you have 60 seconds, I will be most grateful if you would please rate and review. To hear more episodes, please subscribe to the show and visit undercurrentstories.com. If you leave your email in the link, we will notify you as soon as new episodes are released. Also, check out our social media links, details of which can be found on the show notes. Until next time, this is Bob Wells wishing you all the very best. 